If you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. A few weeks ago, we began a new teaching series straight out of the Psalms. I, I would tell you it was not what I wanted. <laughs> I'd spent two weeks studying uh, 1 Peter and couldn't wait to talk about living stones and what that meant, and the Spirit just led us to a different place. So uh, two weeks ago, we began a new season of Psalm, and uh, uh, each week we'll uh, be looking at a different Psalm. Maybe we're just kind of going as the, as the Spirit leads us. Uh, Psalm 84 wasn't on my wish list, but uh, it has kept rising to the surface. The Psalms are, um, I don't know if you know this, but back in the old days of church, we used to have these things called song books, um, back when there used to be books. Um, but yeah, we had these things called song books, and in the middle of your Bible, believe it or not, is a song book. It is scripture put to music, and it has all of these, these terms like interludes and selahs, like these are all musical terms, even the term, uh, even the word psalter, which talks about all 150 psalms. Psalter is, is a Hebrew word for a musical instrument, but it's more than a song book. It's, uh, it's a song house. It's the most quoted uh, Old Testament uh, book by Jesus himself. Jesus quotes the Psalms again and again. They just roll off his lips almost as if he had all 150 memorized, which he probably did. The Psalms is a little Bible. In it, you find the whole story of God. The Psalms is, is a book of praise. Sometimes at church, we, we get stuck in kind of a, a stuffy, priggish court sort of manner of we have church shoes and church clothes and we sit in nice church rows, but the Psalms stands out as something different from that. There, there is nothing kind of constrained about the Psalms. The Psalms are virile and robust. The Psalms invite us to experience spontaneity and, and every the, the full range of emotion. And I've challenged you guys during this season of Psalm, I'm still not 100% sure when we're going to end this series. Um, sometime it will happen. But in this season, I invite you and have been encouraging you as a church to begin and end each day with a psalm. The first thing you look at before you check your Facebook is a psalm. When you rolled all over and some people have said, oh, I'm only half awake, but I read my psalm today. I said, I'll take it. To begin and end each day in the psalms. And uh, I don't know if your experience is like this, but my experience is that I keep finding new favorites. Have you had that happen? Well, this one's my favorite until I read this one. Or this one, and maybe what is happening is that those psalms that you're, you're immersing yourself in are beginning to pour from your lips out into your daily life. I hope so. So let's, let's spend some time today looking at Psalm 84. You guys know this one? It goes like this. Uh, I'll, read it, I'll read it straight from the screen. This is the New Living Translation. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar, O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God. 
What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob. O God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. The word of the Lord. Do any of you like to travel? Any travelers here? You like to travel? Uh, what, uh, what is uh, uh, on your, uh, your destination bucket list for travelers? What's, what's on your list? Do you, do you have anything on your like, hey, before I die, I've got to visit this place? I've been to some pretty amazing places. I've been to Hawaii. Uh, I've been to Chile. Uh, I've been all over Central America. Costa Rica is pretty good. If you haven't tried that Costa Rica out, you need to go there. But my bucket list place is maybe New Zealand. Uh, that just seems like, that seems like another planet away from here. So what about you? Do, you? do you have a bucket list destination? Call it out. Where do you want to go? Machu Picchu, I heard. All right, where else? Somebody else. Memphis. <laughs> we can make that happen. Somebody else. Where else? Israel. Paris? Oh, my daughter wants to go to Paris so bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Australia. Australia. Man, we just send prisoners over there. That's not like that's not a place you want to go. Israel. Israel, yeah, yeah. So lots of people maybe have Israel on your on your hit list. Have any of you been to the ancient Near East? Have any of you been to the Holy Lands, to Israel? Anyone been to Jerusalem? Let me show you a picture. It's a picture of Jerusalem. And for followers of God in the Old Testament, New Testament, there's always been one place that captures their imagination more than any other. There has always been a, a specific GPS designation of a place that holds every, uh, every person in the Bible's hopes and dreams. It's a picture of Jerusalem. Some called the city Zion. You know that word. In Psalm 46, listen to what it says about Zion, about Jerusalem. In Psalm 46, it says, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. Jerusalem is where he lives. Mount Zion is his home, Psalm 76. Psalm 48 says, how great is the Lord, how deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain, Zion. It is, his, uh, it is high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. God himself is in Jerusalem's towers, revealing himself as its 
defender. Jerusalem and Zion, before even the time of the Israelites, has been, at least in the mind of the, the, the people of the Bible, the people of God, has been the city of God. Mount Zion is the, the place, is, is the mount outside of Jerusalem where the temple was built. It's the place where God tabernacled. Literally, it was the dwelling place of God. Before there was a temple, uh, if you remember your Old Testament and Exodus, the people traveled with God. God traveled in this tent. He tabernacled with them. He dwelled with them. And, and it was the, the most cherished campsite was the ones that were closest to the tabernacle. And every year... After the temple is built and replaces the tabernacle, every year the Jews make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer sacrifices for their sins. There are a couple of different temples. Uh, they're, they're built and destroyed. Solomon builds a temple to God. Herod later builds the most immaculate temple you've ever imagined. Uh, the temple on Mount Zion, literally uh, for Herod's temple, he cut the top half of a mountain off just lopped it off, excavated the whole thing, and then built the temple there. I wish we could have seen it. It was covered in marble and gold, and people said from a distance it looked like a snow-capped mountain. It was Mount Zion. It was the destination of every God follower in the Bible, and, it, and really if Psalm 84 has a destination, it's Jerusalem, it's Zion. But Jerusalem is destroyed a couple of times, and so is the temple. Uh, if you uh, look in that picture today, what stands on what we think is the closest point where the temple stood is a grand mosque. It stood there for hundreds and hundreds of years. So what do we do if we don't have that place, that destination to go to anymore? What happens next? Well, the thing is, and uh, it's a really interesting thing, the city of God, Mount Zion, transcends geographical location. Have you seen uh, the Sistine Chapel? You guys know Michelangelo's ceiling in the Sistine Chapel? And, you know, everybody has seen that picture. There's two fingers. One is the finger of God and one is the finger of man. That's, that's Mount Zion. That's what the temple represented to the people of Israel. That's what this, it was this place where heaven and earth met. But if we don't have that place anymore, if, uh, if we don't have that physical destination, wh what are we, where are we supposed to go and what are we supposed to do? And so Mount Zion transcends geographical location and, and it becomes God's universal kingdom. A kingdom is where uh, what the king wants done gets done, Right? So Mount Zion and Jerusalem, this place of our attention becomes where God's will is done. But if you read even, even more carefully in your, New Testament, in, in your New Testament, Zion, Mount Zion, is no longer a destination but a person. In John chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Word became flesh and made its tabernacle home among us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24, it talks about how Israel at one point in time had to go to Mount Zion, but it says in verse, verse 24 of chapter 12, it says, no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, but now you have come to Jesus. 
Jesus becomes the place of God's dwelling. It becomes the place of God's enduring presence. And this Psalm 84 is a psalm about entering Zion, Jerusalem, about entering the presence of God. And what will you find when you get there if you look into verse 4? Verse 4 and 5, I think we have it on the screen. Verse 4 and 5 and verse 12, you, uh, this Psalm 84 kind of has its own set of beatitudes. Jesus spoke in beatitudes as he began his Sermon on the Mount, and Psalm 84 has its own beatitudes. Uh, the New Living Translation translates the word what, joy, but really the word is happiness. Blessed. What you will find when you enter God's presence is Happiness, happiness for those who can live in your house, always singing praises. Happiness for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to Zion. What happiness for those who trust in you. But it goes on, what else will you find in Zion? Look what it says in the first half of verse 11. It's for the, it says, for the Lord God is our sun and our shield. Shield is obvious. Shield is protection, right? In the presence in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, in the presence of God, we find protection. But I love that it includes, for the Lord God is our S-U-N. Go ahead and show that image. I love the sun. Any of you ever lived in Seattle or I spent some time in Alaska where the sun is like rarely seen. I don't think I could do it because I love the sun. Is it any wonder if you think about it why ancient cultures used to worship and deify the sun, right? Like imagine what our world, what our life would be like without the sun. The beach wouldn't be very fun, right? Think about it. The sun gives us light to move through our days. Do you get gloomy when the sun is away or out for a couple of days? Man, we would be the crankiest place on the planet, right? We, gripe, we always gripe about daylight savings time. <laughs> we want more sun, not less, generally. It gives us light for the day, but it also causes our crops to grow. Can you see why ancient cultures worshipped the sun? I love what it says in verse 11 of this psalm. Because it says, some worship the sun, but he, our God, is the sun. He's the life source of this planet. In the second half of that verse, verse 11, uh, verse 11b says, he gives us grace and glory. The Lord will, will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. I love that. We're, we're used to maybe the 23rd Psalm of I shall not want or, or I have all that I need, but that's not what this says. It says the Lord will withhold no good Thing. It's not that, that you're just sustained or you have just enough to get by. That's not what this says, is it? He says, no, God is, is looking to give out of his super abundance. 
the Lord grants, he does not withhold. Are you falling in love with Psalm 84? Let's look at the first couple of verses again. In verse 1 through 3, look what it says. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. I love that part. Um, I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, I told my wife uh, a little bit about the meaning of some of the Hebrew words behind this phrase this week, and she said, oh, I didn't know it said that. In the King James Version, man, I am on thin ice right here. Um, <clears throat> in the King James Version, that first line, how lovely is your dwelling place, is, is translated, how amiable is your tabernacle. That's what it says in the King James Version. And I know some of you are lovers of the King James Version. Amiable. Um, that is the wrong word. <laughs> um, amiable is like, how friendly is your tabernacle? How social and agreeable is your, you know, amiable is, is kind of the perfect church word for this, for this verse. But, but in Hebrew, it's the term, um, I'm not even going to try to say it, but, but the, in Hebrew, that word how lovely, the, that, that term lovely is, is something we should pay attention to. It doesn't mean amiable. It's, it means, remember how I said like Psalms is everything but like kind of priggish or prudish or constrained. Psalms is something different. It's far more emotional. And that word lovely in the first line of Psalm 84 is from the word lover. It's related to the word for love making. Are you with me? I guarantee you never read it that way, did you? But listen to these words in that context. The context of two lovers embracing each other. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Do you see the life that's there that exists just beneath the surface? It's a little different than amiable. <laughs> the dwelling place of the Lord is the home of the sparrow. He builds her nest in the little crevices, in, in the intimate place, almost as if lovers snuggled under a blanket in front of a fire. Are you with me? Like the kind of emotion that this is expressing toward the dwelling place of God is um, as intimate as you can imagine. And it goes on in verse 10, it just say, if a single day in your courts really is better than a thousand days, like a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Like I think of that, we've, we've heard this song, Better is One Day, and we've sang this song a million times, and, and it's this, hey, this is a great place, but, it, but it's a deeper than that. There is, there is a conviction that comes with this verse too. It, it's almost as if to say a single day in your courts is better than a thousand days I've chosen elsewhere. 
It's this kind of deep saying of, hey, um, better is one day in your courts than all of those other days I've wasted pursuing my own desires, pursuing my own selfish will. If a single day in your courts really is better than a thousand days I've wasted elsewhere, if if it truly is better to be a doorstop in the house of my God than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked, then what must I do? You see, I think Psalm 84 is an awesome psalm of praise, and it talks about the presence of God, but but it comes with very clear direction for us. There's only one logical, obvious course of action. And the hint of it is is in verse 5. Look again at verse 5 and see what it says. I think I put that up there. Maybe I did. There it is. In verse 5 it says, what joy. Okay, we're back to the Beatitudes. Happiness for those whose strength comes from the Lord who have set their minds on a, what's the word? Pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to Zion. Verse 84 is a, uh, I mean, uh, Psalm 84 is a pilgrim psalm. This was the psalm sung by people on their way to Zion. It's a psalm of motion, of movement. And we must set our minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem also. It invites us on this journey with pilgrim hearts, with turning every thought towards God, a a highway, a journey into the presence of God. It's it's not a journey to a physical place. It's not a journey to a shrine or, or even a city or a church building. But it invites us to shift from place to presence. I've talked about Brother Lawrence before. Uh, one of the early church fathers, Brother Lawrence, is this great theologian who worked in the kitchen. <laughs> if you look at Brother Lawrence, he's, he lived a really interesting life. He wasn't in the pulpit of the grand cathedrals, but he was in the wash closets of faith. And what he discovered there in the mundane chores of cutting carrots and mopping floors was the presence of God. Not in the high, lofty places of religion, but in the simple wash basins. And Brother Lawrence, in his book called Practice of the Presence of God, wrote this. He said, refuse to be content with the mere knowledge of God, but ins- insist on exercising his presence. Psalm 84 beckons us to make time in the presence of God again. Make space for him in our busy lives as we sit and eat, as we clip our toenails and love our children. As we pray for our favorite teams to win the game, as we're waiting in traffic. The people of God are invited to to ritually enter again and again and again the reality of God. Because better is one day in the presence of God than a thousand other days that I've chosen and spent my life elsewhere. The God of Psalm 84 
is the God to whom every believer in history has gone and to whom we today must still go. Amen? You know, faith is about movement. Think about that. Faith must take the form of movement to exist. As long as faith is still, as long as as faith is stationary, it's temporary. Faith must take the form of movement. Psalm 84 invites us, encourages us, and pushes us that, and tells us that one must go towards God, and it's up to us to go. In, in every moment of our day, to consider the presence of God and to go into it, to pursue it, we are to go to God. And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, man, I've spent a thousand days elsewhere. Maybe you've delayed or hesitated to start your journey. Maybe your heart has wondered If that's you, I love what Timothy Keller says. Timothy Keller says, stop flitting around like a bird and learn to live a life near God again. Pursue a life of his presence. And if that's you today, then we want to give you a couple of options. We're going to want to encourage you to confess your sins. I know that's a very un-PC thing like to say, but this is a part of the faith journey. In fact, uh, for many people, the first step of faith is a step of confession or repentance. And so if that's you today, man, we, we want to be here for you. And I'll, uh, I'll move to the back at the, at the end of our time here in just a few minutes. And there's ways we can serve you or pray for you. Uh, if you need someone to repent to, then, man, we've got awesome leaders and elders of our church that will hear your repentance and offer you the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We can take you to a confidential space or creative space where you can feel comfortable or as comfortable as you can doing that. Maybe it means joining a discipleship group. Uh, You've been starving yourself with Sunday to Sunday and you're ready to enter into the presence of God in a a daily kind of way. A discipleship group is is there to facilitate that, to bring Jesus to the forefront of your life and decision-making in every uh, scenario and situation. Maybe today is your day to give your life to Christ through baptism. We practice a baptism through immersion. That's what they did in the New Testament. Baptism actually means immersion. And so I tell all of our kids, that's not a hot tub. <laughs> Although it is warm. And we have everything you need to take your first step as a follower of Jesus. The invitation, I think, of Psalm 84 is for us to become pilgrims again. Pilgrims seeking Zion again. And I invite you today to resolve today to not wax or wane, but live your whole life in pilgrim's pursuit of the presence of God. In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of communion 
Uh, it's something uh, we do each week. It's a part of our tradition. So around the room, you see the tables with the elements of communion. If you're new here, if you're a guest with us, we invite you. You're welcome to participate. The elements uh, are include a cup of just simple juice and uh, a piece of small bread, which represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ broken and poured out for us. If you take these elements, we invite you to, to do so in a, a respectful, reflective manner. If you want to sh- share the elements of communion with each other and maybe take the opportunity to pray for each other, ask others to pray for you, then God bless, man, that's exactly, this, this is a communal time. And so we invite you to be a part of that. We think it's important, and so we do it each and every week. It's a great space for you to come again into the presence of God. And while we're doing that, I'm going to do something a little bit different, if you'll permit me. Um, Sometimes we have uh, our communion time in silence. Sometimes we have music. Sometimes we have video. Sometimes we do it in in a little bit different way. And today we're going to do something uh, we have never done before, at least to my knowledge. Uh, I'm going to show a video, but I want to show a video of an orchestra and a choir from Germany. Maybe some of you have heard of the 19th century composer Johann Brahms. Anybody know him? I had to look him up. Okay, awesome. We've got, we've got some uh, with some musical knowledge uh, far exceeding my own. So near the, end of, uh, near the end of Brahms' life, his mother died. And um, as, a, as a composer, he was trying to find ways to, to process his grief and all of his feelings. He also had another friend that died in uh, relative proximity. And to try to deal with the things that he was feeling, he turned to Scripture Specifically, Psalm 84. And out of Psalm 84, Johann used his gifts, his skills, to write uh, what is called the German Requiem. It's an eight-movement symphony with chorus. It includes a, a, a solo soprano and tenor. And if you want to watch the whole thing, it'll take you about an hour and a half. You can download all different kinds of orchestras around the world use it and celebrate it today. Um, And so during our communion time, I thought that that would be appropriate. If you speak German, you'll actually get to hear. (laughs) You'll actually understand what's being said. But in the very center of these eight movements is uh, at the very, the anchor of Johann's um, German Requiem is Psalm 84, the first three verses, literally how lovely is your dwelling place. And so with your permission, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to play at least that that one movement uh, on the screen. And I've asked the guys uh, that are doing the sound to go ahead. So this is a full orchestra with choir to fill the space. Uh, they said, do you want it loud? I said, no, I want it to fill the space uh, with music, with song. And so as you take communion, I invite you to soak in Psalm 84 in maybe a way you, you never have. Think you can do that? All right, let me say a prayer for us. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, um, for your life-giving psalm. Father God, I pray that each person in here would not be content with just a knowledge of God, but, but Father God, that we would, we would be compelled, we would have an appetite to experience you, experience your presence, the presence that's, that's real and available to each and every one of us today. And Father God, in your presence, let us repent of our sins. 
Let us confess our shortcomings to you and let us embrace again all that you have to offer, the happiness that comes from being in your presence, the, 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 the trust that comes from being in your presence. Father God, let us experience your truth in a way that changes us and transforms us. Father God, maybe we've been off the path for a long time. Maybe this is your first day back in, in a church. And so, Father God, if that's you, we, we, pray, we pray for that person to take their first pilgrim step today. God, I pray that, that no matter what situation we face, we, we would take that step towards you, a step towards Zion, a step towards Jerusalem, a step towards your presence now, here, today, in this space. Father God, we don't possess any special talent or gifts. This is all a work of your spirit. And so, Father God, we ask you to move and be present, compel us, shake us, awaken us. We love you, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen.